Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord God, we thank you so much for this amazing morning, Lord, this glorious morning, this miraculous morning, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice for our sakes, Lord. I pray now as we open up your word and we dig in to see what it is that you have for us, Lord, that you would speak into each one of our hearts, Lord, that we would have already been uh, prepared to hear what it is that you have to say to each one of us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take me now and use me as your instrument for the masterpiece that I know that you have already painted, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. So the last couple of Sundays, <laughs> last week, Palm Sunday, Jesus, we see the shift in his ministry where he uh, before was like, don't, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have compassion, I'm going to heal, but don't tell anybody it's me, to now allowing his disciples to worship and praise him as the Son of God as he rides into Jerusalem. It's a big deal. Um, then we see uh, the, between last Sunday and today, we see that Jesus actually goes into the temple all week. And he, it says that he goes into the temple and spends the week preaching the gospel to all who would come in here. That's, of course, after he cleansed the temple courtyard of all of the deceit and corruption of the money changers and, and sellers who were there before. He spends the week teaching. And it's worth it if you've not done it or if you haven't done it in a while to just go through and read that week between when he rode into town and when he was crucified. Read in there and see what it is that Jesus was teaching them. It's very, it's very good. You should go and check that out. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not like this. In fact, they keep going into Jesus while he's in the temple trying to trick him in his words, trying to find something that they can get that will incriminate Jesus, but he's way too clever. I mean, he is Jesus after all. And so he is not tripped up by them. And so they've decided that the only thing that they can do is they just, they're not going to be able to arrest him correctly. So they're just going to um, get him and kill him. And so what they end up doing ultimately is, is paying Judas, one of his apostles, money to betray him. And then they go under the cover of darkness and take him while he's praying in the garden. And they bring him, and, and, and in a, just a course of a few hours, he is uh, tried, convicted, and crucified. That all happens this past week. Then he is laid, uh, he's taken down from the cross, and he's laid in a tomb that was owned by a na- man named Joseph of Arimathea. But did you know that Joseph wasn't just a rich man? Did you know that also he was a member of the Sanhedrin? You can read that in the Gospels. Um, also, it says that he was secretly a disciple of Jesus because he was afraid of what the other uh, Pharisees would say about him. Well, he was a rich man. He had a tomb that no one had ever been laid in before. He asked Pilate, could I please have the body of Jesus? They took him down off the cross. Him and another man who you might know, whose name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus had also come to Jesus by cover of darkness, if you remember. But what he wanted to know was what it meant to be born again. The other Pharisees come under cover of darkness to take Jesus and to kill him. So here is Nicodemus now with Joseph of Arimathea out in the open now, taking the body down of Christ and putting him in a tomb, hastily wrapping him up um, in this linen sheet, which we'll talk about briefly, and putting him in a tomb that Joseph owned, 
until early, and that's where he stayed until early Sunday morning, which is today. You know, I opened my eyes today at 6.18. I looked at the clock at 6.18, and it was still dark. And I thought, ah, I missed it, because I'm sure he was up before 6.18. It says that, that he, see, it's going to tell us that Mary and the other women arrived at the tomb before it was even light outside, and Jesus was already resurrected. So I don't know what time it was exactly. <coughs> Excuse me, but... <coughs> There's going to be some of that. I'm sorry. I'm still struggling. Um, <clears throat> that I opened my eyes and I was like, he's already risen. Oh, man, what a good, what a good morning. Now, um, I just wrote a note to myself here. Jesus is an early riser. <laughs> <laughs> this all brings us to today, this morning, this moment. Where we're going to look at the, the resurrection story of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've ever read through it, uh, all, all four Gospels, or you plan to go through and read all four Gospels, because there's a version of the story in all four, um, it, some of the events and the timing can get a little bit confusing because you're hearing it from different, four different perspectives, which each writer thought was the most important part to kind of talk about. And so maybe it's like the people who were there or the kind of the events doesn't always exactly line up. And that doesn't mean that there are um, inconsistencies. It just means that you're hearing it from four different authors. But to help you out for this morning, I'm going to give you a very brief chronological order of the events so that when you read it later, you'll be like, oh yeah, okay, now I understand. Okay, so here we go. Early the third day, early the, the third day, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women head out to the tomb with the intention of preparing Jesus' body with herbs and spices. While they're on their way, an angel shows up at the tomb, rolls away the stone, all of the guards that are there guarding the tomb, making sure that Jesus' disciples don't come and steal him, all see this, and it says that they're so afraid that they fall down and shake like dead men. I don't know how a dead man shakes, but apparently that's what the, it just means that they were very, very afraid and maybe even fainted dead away. Now, when they come to, they get up, they go to the high priests and they say to the high priest, this is what happened. An angel came and rolled away the stone and we all, we all fell down like dead men. The high priests say, all right, this is what we want you to do. We want you to lie and tell everybody that you fell asleep and his disciples came and took his body away. And we're going to give you a large sum of money to do that. And if you get in trouble with the governor, we'll come and we'll make it okay. And that's what they did. And the gospels say that that is still told to this day. Not to this day, maybe in some places, but in the Bible. <clears throat> now, Mary Magdalene and the other women, Mary in her zeal to get to the tomb, arrives to the tomb before all the other women get there and sees that the stone has been rolled away. Now she assumes that Jesus's body has been taken and removed from the tomb. So she turns around and runs back to go and tell the disciples. Now, as she's going, the other women show up at the tomb and they see angels there who tell them that Jesus is no longer dead but that he is risen. In fact, what they say is, why do you seek the living among the dead? They say to the women, go back and tell the other disciples that he's not dead, that he is risen. And so they, do, they run off to go ahead and tell the other disciples this. Now, while all that's going on, Mary actually comes to the house where Peter and John are staying. 
And she tells Peter and John that someone has taken the body of the Lord and she doesn't know where they are. Peter and John get up and run to the tomb. Mary follows. So you've got Peter and John running to the tomb. Now all the women are coming back. And I don't know if they're taking the same road and passing each other or whatever. It doesn't say. I just know that now Peter and John are running to the tomb. Mary's behind him. Peter and John, they get to the tomb and they check it out and they see that Jesus is indeed not there. They turn around and I'm going to go into some of these details today, so don't worry. Um, They go passing Mary who's standing outside the tomb weeping. They run away. Mary goes and looks into the tomb and that's where we are today. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? Now, if you go through and you read all four Gospels, you're going to see some different accounts of of who showed up with who and who saw what, but there are two consistent points in all four of the Gospels. Number one, very important, not a single person among his disciples expected that Jesus had risen from the dead. They all were for sure that they would find his dead body in the tomb. That's consistent with all four. And the fourth one is Jesus was not there He had indeed risen from the dead. Amen? That's where we are today, John chapter 20. I had to write that down. So, chapter 20, verse 1, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. You, You know... Mary, there's a, I, you know, I can't help but feel a little bit convicted just by this one part of the verse because Mary, expecting to find a dead Jesus, still raises up early in the morning to go and find a dead Jesus. I happen to know that Jesus is alive and I still have trouble getting up early to go and find him. <laughs> Mary gets up early and she's going and she, you know, the thing is like, I'm sure that Mary sat there. She had to wait an entire day before she was allowed to go to the tomb. She wanted to go and bring these spices to properly anoint the body of Jesus. I'm sure she's just had to sit there. I wonder if she even slept. She just had to sit there for an entire day because she wasn't allowed to leave her house because it was Passover. She just had to sit there. She's just like, can you imagine? I mean, she's just like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. As soon as she could go, she went early in the morning, it says in Greek, at dawn, before it was even light outside. Um, They call that the fourth watch. It was between three and six o'clock in the morning. Somewhere between three and six, Mary gets up and she heads out to go to the tomb. It says, uh, and and so here's the thing. This is why she's going, okay? When they took Jesus down off off the cross, they hastily wrapped him up in the burial cloths. And it says that Nicodemus had about 100 pounds of spices. Clearly that wasn't enough because Mary is coming with more. Um, to uh, anoint the body of Jesus. Now, in the, in the other Gospels, it says that the other women were coming with them. And as they kind of walk along, the, it says that the women said to, them, to each other, huh, who's going to roll away the stone when we get there? You understand that a burial tomb was like this. It was hewn out of rock. For this one, it said that no one had ever been laid in it before, but this is how tombs worked. It was a cave or a hole that they, they carved out of the solid rock. And it wasn't like you would put one body in and then leave it. 
you would actually put a body in on this stone kind of platform or table. It was wrapped in the burial clothes and, and, and anoint, uh, anointed with spices and flowers and things. And then they would wait for that body to decompose down to bones. And then they would go back in and take all the bones and put them in a stone box. And then they would store that stone box somewhere in the tomb, and then the, the tomb was ready for an, the next person to be laid in it, okay? But to cover the opening, to make sure that nobody got in there, they would roll a very large stone in front of the door. Maybe you've seen pictures or illustrations of like what, what essentially looks like a big stone, like Flintstone wheel, just like rolled in. In fact, it probably was similar to that. Um, the tomb would have had a uh, kind of a, an, an angled ramp that would lead down, so it was easy to roll into place, but extremely difficult. Not only were you rolling away a big heavy stone, you were rolling it up a ramp to get it away from the door. And so it would take a lot of people to do that. And so as the women are walking to the tomb, they're like, well, wait a minute, now who's going to roll away that tomb, the stone? Now, here's the thing. They get there, and what's happened? The stone has already been rolled away. You see, God took out the obstacle that was preventing them from seeing the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God removed the obstacle that was keeping them from the truth. Is there an obstacle in your life that is keeping you from the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is there? What is that? Is it that, well, I don't usually go to church? Guess what? You're here today. God took away that obstacle. You're hearing the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what will you do with it? Mary's going there because she wants to anoint the body of Jesus Christ with the flowers in the proper way. Now, when they would bury a person at that time, they weren't wrapping them up like a mummy. That was Egyptian. Okay, what they would do is they would lay this long linen sheet about 12 or 13 feet long on a table. They would put the body on it, and then what they would do is they would wrap it long ways like this. Okay, does that make sense, what I'm, the, what I'm illustrating? So it would be like up over my head, back down around, and under my feet. Okay, then they would take a strip of cloth, maybe from the very side of the, the, the linen, and they would tie it around your feet on the bottoms, and then it would tie it here. They would tie it here. My hands would be like this. They would tie it here. It would come up over my shoulders and around my neck. That sounds really weird. Not my neck. I, uh, the neck. <laughs> then what they would do is they would take this face cloth and they would wrap it around the head of the person who was buried. And, then, um, and, and, and while they were doing that, they were tucking in flowers and all these things along the side of the body. So the body would be wrapped up and then left right there. So imagine that's what they're expecting to find. They're coming with spices and flowers to anoint the body. Do you know why they did that? Can you imagine why they did that? After a couple of days, the body would begin to decompose and it would stink. Remember when Lazarus died and uh, <laughs> Jesus was like, roll away the stone. <laughs> and Lazarus' sister said, Jesus, he's been in there four days. He stinketh. If you read the King James, it says he stinketh, which is really funny. She's like, hey, look, he's going to stink. So what they would do is they would bring flowers in and they would cover the body and try to cover the stench of death. That is our best attempt, isn't it? 
all we can expect to do is cover the stench of death. In our best efforts, in our own lives, we can only cover the stench of death of sin in our lives. When she gets there, Jesus isn't there. In fact, Jesus is alive. Jesus would say, I don't need your flowers. I don't need you to cover the stench of death. I have defeated death. I don't need you to cover it for me. In fact, he says, I've defeated it for you. They didn't need their flowers. There was no need to cover the stench of death. It's not sufficient anyway, just covering the stench of death. Let me give you a very crude example. Have you ever gone into a room in your house that someone was in before you for a while? And you just go in and you're like, oh. So what do you do? You get the air fresher. And you spray. And now it smells like air freshener and really bad smell together mixes. It's not sufficient. But that is the best we can do. Christ said, I did away with death. I defeated death. I don't need your flowers. I don't need your best attempts. They fall short. You needed me to defeat death for you. So, and verse 2, it says, and, and uh, so anyway, she gets there early and she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb and she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John. If you don't know, that's John. This is John's gospel. John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. It means the one who Jesus was fond of. Now, I think it's kind of funny. I mean, we've always joked about this. I said, man, that's kind of, I mean, like, John, who does John think he is? Obviously, he thinks he is the disciple that Jesus loves. I wonder if it's, you know, if we're not misreading that. Maybe John is saying, I'm not worthy even to have my name mentioned in this gospel. I can't believe that Jesus loves me at all. But I will refer to myself as the one who Jesus loves rather than use my own name. Hmm. She assumes, just by looking at the stone being rolled away, that Jesus has been taken, his body has been taken away. And so she runs back to Peter and John, um, and she says to them, they, I don't know who they are, and I don't know that she knows who they are, it's just they, have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She comes and says, he's gone. She assumes... Jesus has been taken away because she sees the stone has been rolled away. She hasn't looked in yet, by the way. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, and they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter. (laughs) All right, maybe John is a little arrogant. I suppose maybe it is. Maybe he does think he's the the favored disciple. He's clearly the faster one. He's like, I just, I, look, I just want you to know. Now, remember, John's writing his gospel. He's an old man by this time, right? And maybe he's just thinking back and thinking, man, when I was young, I ran like the wind. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is, and, you know, like I do like that show, The Chosen, a lot. They took some liberties with some of the characters. They have Peter as this little scrappy guy. I think the Bible kind of indicates that Peter was more of a big, strong, clearly slower guy. 
Um, you know, and one of, the, one of the reasons I think that um, is because later on in chapter 21 of this gospel, you know, Jesus, they're waiting for Jesus to kind of come back and give them instructions, and Peter's like, I'm going fishing. So he goes out, and they're fishing, and they don't catch anything all night long, and then Jesus is walking along the shore, and they don't recognize him. But he says, children, have you caught any fish? And they said, no, we've labored all night. We've not caught anything. And Jesus says, why don't you throw your nets over onto the other side? Now, right there, I think I would have been like, Jesus? Because, you know, we've been there before. So they do it, and it says that they pull up a haul of fish, 153 large fish, so heavy that they couldn't even pull it into the boat. John, at that point, the disciple that Jesus loved, says to Peter, that's the Lord, to which Peter jumps out of the boat because it says they're close to shore. And he, <coughs> excuse me, he runs up to the beach. Now, by this time, the other disciples have rowed the boats up to shore. <coughs> it says that Peter grabs the net of 153 large fish by himself and drags it up on shore. The same catch of fish that they couldn't even pull up into the boat. Now, I don't think that Peter was a little scrappy guy. I think he was a big, strong, obviously slower guy. They both get to the tomb. John gets there first, it says. And it says that um, John stopped. Uh, let's see. So they ran together. Peter and John came to, uh, um, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there that he did not go in. So John gets to the tomb. He has to stoop down because it's got kind of a, you know, not a huge opening because they got to cover it with a stone. And he looks in and in the tomb, he can see that the linen clothes that Jesus was wrapped in, they're still there, okay? We're going to talk about something here in a minute. These three words, saw, 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 in Greek, they're all different words, and they all mean different things, and it's very important. This one means John simply saw, looked with his eyes. That's it. Just like I'm looking at Denise, I look over, and there's Denise. That's what it means. I looked, and I saw. That's it. That's the extent. John gets to the tomb. He looks in, and he sees the linen cloths lying there. All right? <clears throat> Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. Now, the, you got to picture this. Here comes Peter, and he's like huffing and puffing, and he finally gets to the tomb. He doesn't stop. He just goes right in. And that is just like Peter, isn't it? John gets there, and he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't go in because there's a dead body in there, I think, and I might be defiled. Peter just goes right in because that's what Peter does. Ready, shoot, aim. That's Peter. So Peter goes in, and it says that he saw the linen clothes. Now, saw, this word is a different word. It doesn't mean just look. It means that he saw and observed. Rather, it means that he saw the linen clothes there and knew something had happened. Something is going on here. I don't really know what it is, but something has happened. It's not just that I'm seeing them. I'm seeing it, and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, something has happened here, because clearly Jesus' body is not there. And it says, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. I, you know, we have handkerchiefs now. And so we just think, you know what, it's like that thing that you take and blow your nose on and then grossly put it back in your pocket for later. Um, 
This was a, a word that means like a face cloth, like the one I described, that they would wrap around his head. It might have been flatly wrapped and tied on his head. It might actually have been rolled up and tied this way on his head to keep his mouth closed, because they would do that as well. And really what, what this is saying is that they saw the linen clothes there with the face cloth in its place where it would have been undisturbed, okay? That's so important, undisturbed. If it had been a grave robber coming in, um, if they were to unwrap the body, which is unlikely, they would have unwrapped it. Probably they wouldn't have then folded it all nice and put everything back in its place. They would have just thrown it on the floor. Probably more likely is they would have taken the grave clothes and everything and walked out of the tomb with Jesus' body. What this is saying is when they came in, they saw everything there in its place, minus only the physical body of Christ. As if, and this is what the text indicates, as if there was some event that then he was there and then like evaporated out and the clothes just went like that. That's what this is talking about. But Peter comes in and he's like, I see those clothes there. I don't see Jesus' body. Something is going on. I'm not sure I get it, but something is going on here. Then the other disciple, John, who came, into the, who came to the tomb first, again, there it is again, who came to the tomb first, by the way, um, went in also and saw and believed. Now this word saw means perceived or understood and believed. Okay, the, the very next verse says, though, for yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So this is what this means. John came in, he saw the linen clothes, he understood that they're the clothes, they were not, um, he was not stolen, that he actually rose from the dead. And what this is saying is that John saw and believed in the fact of the resurrection, but did not yet understand the meaning of the resurrection. Okay, he could see and thought, oh, Christ has been raised from the dead, but he didn't quite understand what the implications of that were because none of them had really remembered any of the scriptures that Christ had said would come, what would happen after he was resurrected. And so as I look at those saw, 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 there's three levels to that. And every believer, I believe, has gone through each one of those steps. At some point in your life, before you were a believer, you kind of saw the truth of Jesus Christ and who he was. And maybe it was someone invited you to church and you were like, oh, they believe something about this guy, Jesus. Or I used to go to Sunday school and I heard and I saw, I observed with my eye that there was something to this, but that's as far as it went. But then at some point, it went to that next step where you were like looking around and saying, okay, I know there's some truth about this or they at least believe it. I could see all these people in this room really believe something or their life has changed or something about them is different. I know something is going on. I just don't quite understand what it is to that last step where you then believe. And you say, I actually do believe that Jesus Christ was real, that he walked the earth, that he did miracles, that he was the son of God, that he went to the cross, that he died for my sin, and on the third day rose from the grave, defeating death, therefore giving me the gift of eternal life. You believed. Now, maybe you're here today and you're somewhere on that first or second saw. Today's the day, gang. Today is the day that the truth of the gospel is being plainly presented to you in Jesus and in their own words, saying that Jesus died for you, 
that he rose from the grave, that he defeated death so that you no longer have to try and cover the stench of death with flowers and spices because it's too little. Today is the day. It says, then the disciples went away again to their own house. So, uh, they, they leave the tomb, the two of them, and they well, maybe they're just talking to each other. They don't even notice that Mary is standing outside the tomb weeping. But Mary, it says in verse 11, stood outside by the tomb weeping. That word weeping, incidentally, is the same word that it says of Jesus. Remember on Palm Sunday when everyone's cheering and happy and he's riding the donkey, he sees um, Jerusalem and he's weeping. Weeping, uncontrollable grief, it says, over the fact that they are missing what's really happening. Mary, in the same sense, is weeping with uncontrollable grief as she stands outside of the tomb. And it says that she wept, as she wept, she stooped down and looked in. So this is her first time now that she's actually even looking into the tomb this whole morning and saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where Jesus' body had lain. So she looks in, and on that platform where Jesus' body had laid, she sees two angels, one sitting at the head and one sitting at the feet. Does that remind you of anything else that you recall in the Bible? Anybody? The what? Close. The mercy seat. The mercy seat. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What we mistakenly think of as the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is that platform that goes on top with the two angels, one on the left and one on the right with their, with their wings stretched out. That was the place that the high priest would come in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the propitiation of the payment of their sin. She looks in and she sees now in the tomb the place where Jesus shed his blood for the payment of sin once and for all, an angel on the left and the right, the actual real mercy seat, the final mercy seat of God right there. I just got chills. So these angels, they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. They, again, I don't know where he is. Don't you find it interesting that when angels appear to the other women, they fall down afraid. And, and the uh, angels say to them, their famous words, fear not, because obviously they're afraid. These women say to Mary, why are you weeping? And she just says, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. She is unimpressed by angels at this moment. You know why? Because when you are looking for Jesus, angels will not do. She is looking for Jesus. She's just like, angels? Yeah, okay. You happen to know where Jesus is? <laughs> now it says, uh, when she had said this, it says in verse 14, now she turned, and she turned around and saw Jesus. Now, most people believe that when she said, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where he is, many people believe that the angels just did this. Because she turns around. And there's Jesus, only she doesn't recognize Jesus. It says that 
um, it says that now when she had heard this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. What, what, Jesus is who she's looking for. Why do you suppose when she turns around and sees a man standing there, sees Jesus standing there, she doesn't recognize that Jesus. In fact, it says that she thought that he was the gardener. <laughs> she turns around and she sees Jesus and doesn't recognize him. Why? Well, she's expecting a dead body still. She's expecting to find the body of Jesus. We know this because she says to this Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener, where have you laid him? Tell me and I'll go and get him and I'll take him away. Well, she doesn't recognize him. I mean, I happen to believe <coughs> that Jesus is, you know, in a, a bit of a different form than he was when he was walking on the earth. Um, in a bit of a, uh, looked a little bit different to them, to the, all that are going to see him. He appears to two guys on the road to Emmaus and they don't recognize him either. I think <clears throat> two reasons is because, number one, they expected that he was dead. And number two, he probably looked a little bit different. Maybe, maybe he wasn't fully glorified, but there was something about him that looked different that they didn't recognize him. So she says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if... Oh, well, he says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, says to him, Sir, if you have carried him away... She doesn't even tell him. Do you notice? She just assumes that he's going to know who she's talking about because he's the one that's in charge of taking care of the garden here. You know, uh, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. How strong is Mary? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is not a small guy and he was from a lot of his life a carpenter. So, you know, he was like hauling wood and trees and things and working with his hands. And I don't suppose Jesus to be a frail little guy and and I, I do imagine Mary to be on the smaller side. I don't know. Maybe Mary was like a big girl. I don't know. But, but even so, I mean, Jesus must have weighed, you know, a good amount for her to be like, just tell me where he is and I'll go and I'll get him and I'll pick him up. And what, she's just going to drag Jesus back to the disciples. <clears throat> but here's the point. Like she is so devoted to Christ, even in death that she's not even thinking about the realities or the logistics of how I'm going to pick up a 200 and something pound Jesus body and take him back to the disciples or to the tomb. She is just about where is Jesus. She is so devoted to a, a Lord that she doesn't even believe is alive anymore. And sometimes I have trouble getting out of bed early enough to open up my Bible. Sometimes I come to work and I'd be like, well, I know I should be in the Word, but I have these emails I want to get to. I was just talking to somebody the other day and saying, even the things that are distracting to me might not be bad things. They might be good things that I have to get to, but I constantly hear that voice of the Lord saying, but what about time with me first? What about time? Where's your devotion? <sighs> okay. That's when I close my computer. I put stuff away. I still get coffee. <laughs> That's coffee in Jesus. I think he'd be okay with that. <laughs> Mary and her devotion to Jesus is not concerned about the logistics of how she's going to carry his body away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, which is to say actually master is the word. Something about Jesus saying her name causes her to recognize this is my master. The voice of her master brings her out 
of that place of despair and grief. And doesn't he do that for you also? When you hear the voice of the Lord, and and I'm sure that I've never heard it like Mary heard it, but I've heard the Lord speak to me that pulls me out of that place of despair. And I'm so, so thankful. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now, it doesn't say this, but you have to see between the lines here that Mary says, Master, and grabs onto him. You know, maybe she falls at his feet and grabs his feet. I honestly think that she just grabs him like around the neck, basically. It was like, I lost you one time, Jesus. I am not losing you a second time. And Jesus is like, you know, wrapped up in a Mary hug. And he says, Mary, don't cling to me. I still, essentially what he's saying is, we still have work to do before I send, ascend to my father. We still have work to do. Because you see what he says? He says, go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, go to and your God, and my God and your God. He says, Mary, we still have work to do. You have to let me go. We still have work to do. And then you see what he, what he does for Mary? This is really cool. He makes Mary the apostle to the apostles. He says, Mary, you go and tell my apostles that not only have I risen from the dead, you've seen me with your own eyes. You know why I love that? Because if the disciples were writing this at the time to make themselves look good, they wouldn't have done that. If this was made up, they wouldn't say, well, Jesus didn't come to us. He came to a woman whose testimony isn't even allowed in the court. Um, they would say, no, he came to us. Yeah, we saw him. We saw him. He, you know, was, you know, Jesus loves me, so that's why he came to me. No, they write, and everyone, they write, Jesus appeared to Mary and then said, Mary, you go back and tell my, not even servants or students now, it's changed, isn't it? Go and tell my brothers oh man, go and tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary, Jesus sends Mary's, <laughs> Jesus sends Mary to the ones who are sent. I love that. So in verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. In the other Gospels, when the women come back and when Mary comes back and tells the disciples, I've seen Jesus. You know what they say? You're talking crazy talk. It says they thought it was nonsense. Her testimony was nonsense. And Jesus was like, oh, really? Well, let's see. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, and that means locked, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them, and he said, peace be with you. You understand what's going on here is that there's, there's 10 disciples, 10 apostles basically left in the room. Judas is dead. Thomas is some other place. It says that they're shut up in a room because they're afraid of the consequences of the Pharisees uh, against them. And so they're hiding out in a room with the doors and the windows shut, afraid. And Jesus, it says, appears among them. Just, it's not like Jesus is like, guys, 
It's Jesus, I swear. It's Jesus. He just appears. You know why that's so cool? Because that gives us a glimpse of Jesus' glorified body. is semi-physical, semi-spiritual. Because he'll say, you could touch me. You could grab me. I can eat. But also, I can walk through this door and I can appear and, and disappear wherever I'd like to. Which he does. And Jesus appears. And the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. He doesn't say, cowardly, faithless disciples, so undeserving of my love. Which is what I would say. He says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He says to them, look at, look at me. It's me. It's the one you saw nailed to the cross for your sake. But I'm no longer dead. I've raised up from the grave, defeating death. Look at me. He just said to. And they were glad. They were glad. I'm sure they were. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. Again, he says, peace to you as the Father has sent me. I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's something really neat. First of all, when I read this, I always imagine what the breath of Jesus smells like. I'm thinking peppermint. (laughs) All the time, no matter what. Just ate shmarma. What is that? The garlicky spread and the fish and all that. Peppermint all the time. But here's the more important thing. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that reminds me of? Think way back at the beginning of everything where Jesus created Adam out of the dust of the earth and it said then he breathed life into his nostrils and the life of God went into man and he lived. Here he says, receive the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them so that they receive the Holy Spirit new life. Man, guess what? When I received Jesus as my Savior and accepted his forgiveness of my sin and believed, I also received the Holy Spirit as they did. Oh, man. And so can you. And so did you. And so can you. And he says... And when he, uh, he says, if you, forgive the, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Then if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is a confusing verse for many people because they're like, oh, that it sounds like Jesus gave us the power to forgive sins or to, you know, not forgive sins. We know that based on what the Bible says that only God forgives sins. So what is this verse meaning? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, based on now my authority and the authority of the word, you now have that authority to announce forgiveness or to warn of the judgment of sin. If you go to somebody and say, hey, if someone comes and says, you know what, I'm not 100% sure, but I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for my sins. You then get to say, your sins have been forgiven. But if they say to you, I'm not a sinner. I don't believe in sin. I'm a good person. Then you have the authority to say, you will die in your sin. They are not forgiven. That's what this is. He's saying that to them. He's saying it to us as well. We have the authority to announce forgiveness or consequence of sin, warn of consequence of sin. That's what we've been given, just as they have been given. Now, 
I'm going to finish the chapter in 28 seconds, so here we go. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, I'm not sure that's really fair. I mean, in this one instance, maybe, but Thomas was bold. I mean, there was another time when Jesus was going to go back into a city where he had caused a stir and they wanted to kill him. And they were like, Jesus, you know, the last time you were there, they wanted to kill you. And he was like, yeah, but I'm going back. So Thomas says, well, let's go and die with Jesus then. And off they go. You know, Thomas wasn't always a doubter. Just in this case, he wasn't there. He's like many people who say, I have to see it to believe it. Now, here's the thing. Look at this next verse. And after eight days, first of all, you understand the disciples, all the other ones who had seen Jesus are living in this amazing, joyful place of, of understanding that Jesus is alive. Eight days of despair Thomas suffers through because he chose not to believe because he hadn't seen. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and he says, peace to you. So once again, they're in a locked room. They're all having a conversation, and then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. I kind of imagine it like they're all sitting around the table um, eating, and then Jesus, and, and, and Jesus just says, could someone pass me the fish? And they're like, oh, whoa! <laughs> He's just there. Then he said to Thomas, okay, so catch this. Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. First of all, how did Jesus know that Thomas was like, unless I put my finger in the nail prints and put my hand in the side, unless he was there all the time, just not seen. Hmm. And isn't that how he still operates? Is Jesus here now? He's sitting right there. No, I don't know. He's there, 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 there. He's everywhere. But also, is Jesus hearing the things you say when you don't realize? Is Jesus seeing the things you watch, the seeing the things you look at? Yes. But he says, man, I love you. I love you. Come to me. Confess those things. Be cleansed of them. Let's have communion together. He says to Thomas, look, Thomas, reach your fingers in here. Look, Thomas, put, put your hand in there. That's, I wouldn't. I was like, well, I know, I believe. <laughs> no, but, and then that's essentially, you see what Thomas says? And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, Thomas said, I will only believe if I put my finger in the hole. Jesus shows up and says, put your finger in the hole. Thomas does not need that. He doesn't need it. See, all of a sudden he believes. His belief outweighs his doubt in that moment. His belief outweighs his doubt. And Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Guess what? I've never seen the physical resurrected body of Jesus Christ, but I still believe. I still believe. Do you? Do you? Amen. And John says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written here, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John ends this chapter with this declaration that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died for your sins, you have eternal life. 
Amen? That is what today is about. The evidence has been portrayed right here. We've talked about it the whole morning. It all comes down to he died for you on the cross for your sins, not his own, but for yours so that you didn't have to bear the consequence of it. He did it not just for every year, but forever. You simply need to believe that. If you believe that, you have life in his name. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. And I'm going to pray that anybody here who has not believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins will pray along with me quietly to themselves. (laughs) If you're here today and you have done that, please pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't received Christ as their Savior, hasn't believed on him for their salvation, that they would this morning pray this prayer on Easter morning, on the day of his resurrection, that this would be the day. And let me tell you something. If you're here right now and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit press in on you, if you pray this prayer and you accept sincerely Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that there is a celebration in heaven for even one sinner who repents. Maybe that is you this morning. So let's, let's go ahead. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing morning, Lord. Not because of the music or the, the message, but because of what you did on this day 2,000 years ago. Lord, thank you so very much. Lord, I pray right now that if there's anyone here that's sitting in this room and has heard my words all morning, Lord, but has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, has not believed on you for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that they would come to a place right now where they would do that, Lord. And if there is anyone here, I pray that they would pray these words, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent now and turn from my sins. I receive you, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, the gift of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Amen.